while they're doing that, I want to uh, share uh, one thing I forgot to share during announcements time. You may have seen, like I did, that there was a birthday today, so I came in this morning and I wished Larry a happy birthday. And uh, Larry informed me that uh, that wasn't quite accurate, that uh, we made a mistake, and it's not Larry's birthday, it's LeBlanc's birthday. So uh, make sure you wish the right person happy birthday today. She's celebrating 39, I think it is. So, <laughs> thumbs up to that. All right. So, Welcome to our young people here this morning. I'm glad that you're, you're with us. And um, like we did last week, I just want to do a quick review. And uh, we have Chase with us this week, the first first I've gotten a chance to see him. So we're glad he's here. So maybe you guys can help him get caught up on what we've been talking about. What have we been talking about the last five weeks? Yes. Praising God's glory. Yes. Getting to know who God is and recognizing the glory he has and and worshiping and praising that. So, um, do you remember any of the lessons that we had about God's glory? Seth? Yes, when we, we talked about eternity, we stretched out a string to the back and tied a little knot, and we said that that knot represents our lives, that our work will last much longer than that. It's not even going to seem significant. Yeah. We had the option. What was the point of that? It was fun. We had food and candy and things that you could get. Um, but the point of the option was, what are things worth worth to us? And especially how important is God to us? What we're willing to give shows how much something is worth. And so we want to make sure that we're showing God what is really worth to us. We had a lesson about a train. And that the cars of the train can only go where the train leads and stay on the track. And that God has given us a track and given us a responsibility to carry his glory. What did we talk about last week? Remember? What did I have up here? Yeah, a lot of candy, remember? I had an M&M jar, and I had a heart that represented God, and we said that the heart had to go in first before everything else did. We tried it once, and put the small things in first, and the heart didn't fit. But if you put God in first, then everything else fits, plus a few extra things, remember? And so, we talked about how um, we need to delight in God, and make sure that, that we're learning everything that we can about Him, and, and giving Him first place. So today I have another lesson about God's glory I want to share with you. What is this? Yeah, it's a mirror, isn't it? What do you do with a mirror? You look at yourself in it. Why would you do that? To see how you look. What What do you see in a mirror? You see you. You don't see the mirror, do you? You're not looking at the glass. You're looking at something outside the glass. And we're going to find out that the Bible says we're supposed to be like mirrors, okay? But there's a few things about mirrors um, that, that we need to know. Does a mirror work when it's like that? No, you can't see yourself in that, can you? Why not? It's dirty. Yeah, it's all covered up. It won't reflect the light the way it's supposed to, will it? 
Can a mirror clean itself? No. The mirror just sits there, doesn't it? So if you're going to have a reflection, it has to be clean. Fortunately, this mirror has two sides, so I'm not going to take time to clean it right now. Can you see yourself now? Why not? Yeah. It's pointing in the wrong direction. Can the mirror turn itself the right direction? No, it can't, can it? So a mirror can't clean itself, and a mirror can't point itself in any direction. Somebody else has to do that. And I have a helper here that's going to help you with something. Can you see yourself in the mirror now? No? All right, you can turn the lights back on. So the mirror needs something else, doesn't it? The mirror needs light. Can the mirror turn the light on itself? No. No. So a mirror only does one thing. If there's light there, it reflects it and shows whatever comes from the outside. It doesn't, it can't point itself to the light. It can't make itself clean to reflect the light. It just sits there. And that's what we're supposed to be like. We can't clean ourselves. To God, this is what we look like. But because of Jesus' blood, we can look like this. And we don't have the ability to point ourselves to God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit didn't call us, didn't work inside of us to call us to God, then we would never really look to Him. And so He points us towards Himself. And then, remember God's glory we're talking about? It gives us a light. And that's what we're to reflect. We're to be the mirror. We're not supposed to try to turn ourselves. We're not supposed to try to make our own light. We're just supposed to reflect what God's giving us. And that's the message I want you to remember today. We have a verse to go along with that. And it's from 1 Peter 4.11. And it says, The persons who serve should serve with the strength the Lord gives, that God gives. You should do these things so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Power and glory belong to him forever and ever. Amen. And in that verse, we see what we've been talking about the last several weeks. We're supposed to serve God in his strength, not trying to do anything on our own because we're just in here. We're supposed to take God's strength and serve him so that he is praised and his glory um, will be given to him when he deserves. Okay? That's what I want you to remember today. We're supposed to be like this. So you can head back to your seats, and I believe Galen is going to come and lead our prayer time this morning. Thank you. Sometimes big children benefit from your story time, too. In reality, it applies to all of us. You know, we we need to depend on the Lord. And uh, I was reading this morning from Second uh, Peter, uh, the first few verses. Uh, God is the one who provides the power we need to live our life in Christ. And thankfully, the Lord, um, God sent the Holy Spirit. And he is with us today, and I pray that the Holy Spirit's presence will be here in our midst today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this 
time that we can come and worship you together as believers. We thank you for both those that are here in the sanctuary and for those that are watching on Zoom. And uh, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for your presence and for the promise and the hope that we have in Christ our Savior. And in spite of so many struggles in this world, and we realize that the world has not been perfect, especially ever since uh, Adam and Eve made the mistake there in the Garden of Eden. There's been uh, so many troubles, but Lord, uh, you are our only hope to help us through troubles and struggles in life. And uh, we just thank you for uh, the word of God that uh, we can look to and uh, learn and understand uh, how to deal with our, our troubles. We just pray for each one in our congregation uh, today, wherever they are. I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, supply their needs and you would bless them and make that them a blessing to others. Lord, just help us to reach out uh, to others, to the world, to share the hope that we have in Christ. We you know, pray for the needs among us. Uh, we, uh, we just uh, pray for the Hollinger family as they grieve the loss of a loved one, a family member. We pray for Tony, too, there in the hospital and the uh, difficult struggle that he is going through there physically and I'm sure uh, emotionally. It's uh, difficult for him. I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would help him through this. And we pray for those that, uh, those of our, our congregation that are in uh, care facilities and so on that. Uh, can't really get out and interact with family and friends and so on. I pray that we would be able to uh, reach out to some of these people to you know, give them calls or whatever it takes uh, to, uh, to uh, let them know that uh, we care for them. And uh, we just uh, pray that you would continue to guide in this service. We thank you, Lord, for inspiration that we've already heard uh, from uh, singing and from uh, scripture and we just pray as uh, Lloyd comes and shares the message with us the hope that we have in Christ Lord uh, give him the words to say we thank you Lord uh, that uh, your presence is here among us and you will speak to each one of us individually Lord we are all human. We make mistakes. And uh, yet, by the grace of God, uh, you can help us through some of these uh, mistakes that we've made. Also, I pray for um, Nancy Shank, uh, who is over there in, in Zimbabwe yet. This will be her last week there uh, for a while. And she is anticipating uh, Going back here to the States uh, next weekend. Just pray for safety in her travels and uh, 
and just uh, pray that you'll continue to work out some of these last uh, minute decisions she and her family has had to make. Just protect her and Tim as uh, we kind of travel here uh, next weekend. And uh, we just pray for other missionaries. We pray for the Bundys there in Spain and they're in transition but are still uh, very involved in the ministry there in Spain. Thank you for how you have uh, blessed them and helped them in uh, mission work there. And uh, we pray for Tony and Heather Brooke too. They're back here in the States and uh, just uh, bless them in their uh, time right now. And, Uncertainty that they're doing there. Lord, just guide us throughout this day. Make us a blessing. In Jesus' name. Those 
Anyways, this morning um, we are nearing our end of this Cottonwell theology series that we started. For those who haven't been with us through this whole series, we're talking about how people view God and view the Bible, and you can view it in light of the whole story is about God or the whole story is about mankind. And we believe that the whole story is about God and we need to give him our focus. And we've been talking about how that, that's the true story of the Bible. We spent some time going through different passages and seeing how God's desire is to use what happens in our lives to bring others to know him and his glory. Last week, we talked about, anybody remember? Gave a hint when I was talking to the young people. We talked about delighting in God, putting Him first, learning to, to appreciate Him. And I, I have a little handout that was in your mailboxes. Um, we'll talk about how steps we can take to, to delight in God. And I used this as an illustration, a dessert that my mom makes that, that I enjoy. And we use the word relish. And, um, on this case here at the moment, but just, just the mind frame of it. It's, it's something that's appealing and desirable, and that's how we should see God. And we had a quote from A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, that said, The man who has God as his treasure has all things in one. And that should be our attitude if we're delighting in God. And today we're going to be looking at the next thing. By the way, I don't think I've said this yet. Where we're at is talking about all of life should be worshipped. If God is a God of glory and majesty, above all things, if he's the center of our story, then all of our life should be about him, about worshipping him. And so we said that delighting in him was the first step. But today we're going to look at the next step. And I have a phrase here um, we're going to talk about. This is a phrase that people often use. And it says, God helps those that help themselves. Is that an accurate statement? I see a few heads shaking and a few whispers. Um, many people think that that verse, that, that that is a verse that comes from the Bible, but it doesn't. As a matter of fact, it is opposite to what the Bible teaches. Mankind isn't someone who is here to help God. Just like the mirror that we talked about with the young people. We can't really do anything on our end. All we can do is reflect what God is doing. And so we're going to talk this morning about depending on God. And you may remember a few weeks ago as we were talking about cracks in our foundation, we read the verse in John that says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me you can do nothing. And that is the truth. There's nothing of eternal value we can do without God. Uh, we can't earn salvation. We can't do enough good things to earn God's appreciation or to make us worthwhile. We can't do anything without God. And so we see that we do indeed need to depend on Him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is dependence. Dependence on God in all things. And that is actually part of our worship. We'll see that that is a way that we can be worshiping God. And I looked up the definition, as I usually do, of dependence. 
And this is the state of lying on or being controlled by someone or something else. Being controlled by someone or something else. That's not something we like to hear. We don't like to be under someone else's control. When we're born for a brief time, we depend on somebody else for everything. Our food, our cleaning, our care, keeping us warm and safe. That all depends on someone else for a while. And then comes a moment when we begin to crawl. And from that moment on, we are trying to assert our independence. Go where we want, do what we want, act like we want. And what do parents do? They come alongside us. And they try to teach us. They try to help us see that going your own way only leads to problems. That going your own way can cause you harm. So parents try to keep us safe, try to instruct us, try to show us that we do need to depend on something else. And the same is true in our relationship with God. We are constantly trying to do things on our own, trying to go our own way with God's approval for it, and God keeps calling us back. And he keeps saying, that isn't going to work, but I have a better way. And we want to look at that better way this morning. Just like most things, we can take this message back to the very beginning in Genesis, because that's when the problem started. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall, when the serpent came and tempted Eve and Adam, and Eve had responded that we're not supposed to eat the fruit of this tree, and Satan said, God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like that was Eve's downfall. That she could take the place of God. Now think about that. <coughs> Adam and Eve were created directly by God. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. They walked, according to Scripture, in the Garden with God. They had a personal relationship. They knew God in a way that we currently do not. And you would think that they would know God's word. You would think that they would know who he was and what the right response to him should be. And somehow the enemy put this idea that she could be like God. She could go her own way without God. Obviously that's not true, is it? Because we know what happened. They felt shame, they felt embarrassed, they felt separation, they lost the garden. And I believe, I don't necessarily have a particular verse to support this, but I believe part of the reason God made the changes to the world that he did after the fall was, he was saying, if walking with me in what I've created, isn't enough to show you that you need to rely on me, that I am God. And I'll make things a little bit tougher for you. In order that you have to rely on me. And so when we hit these things in our life that aren't enjoyable, aren't pleasant, that we wish weren't there, they need to instead point us 
the one that we need to rely on. Because that's his desire, that's that's his message the whole way through the Bible. He wants to use everything to point us to himself. And we shouldn't be trying to find ways, how can I make everything simple? How can I make everything enjoyable? We should be thinking about how can I rely on God? The way Adam and Eve were supposed to rely on God. And if you would turn with me to Psalm 124, we're going to look at some scripture that I believe reinforces this. Psalm 124 is a short psalm. It says, If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, If the Lord had not been on our side when man attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be sworn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the foul snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalm starts out with, if the Lord. That's an important phrase. What if... The Lord wasn't there for you. Where would you be? Take a moment and reflect on that. What would my life look like if not for God? For most of us, we're honest, picture wouldn't be too good, would it? There's another popular phrase that says, when you come to the grace of God, there you are. There's a lot of examples we could think of of if God had not reached out in his grace, that we could have gone down a path. It was not very not very pleasant. And sometimes we tend to think, well, I'm not so bad on my own. Galatians 6 3 says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, when they are not, they deceive themselves. We have this idea in, in, in humankind that we're more special than we are. And we, and we are special. God, we believe the scripture that God made us different than anything else in creation. He breathed his breath into us. He created us in his image. But that's what makes us special, is his image, not ourselves. And when we get the idea that we're something when we're not, we deceive ourselves. And some of you may say, well, I don't think anything of myself. Did you know that even low self-esteem is thinking more of yourself than you should? Because what you're really saying is people don't think enough of me and I'm sad about that. We need to take our focus off of ourselves and put it onto God, the one that we depend on. Because we read recently from Psalm 139 that says, He created us fearfully and wonderfully just the way he wants us to be. 
And our focus is not supposed to be on what we have or what we don't have, but on the one who created us and what he wants to do. And going back to Psalm 124 that we were just looking at, it started out like this. And we read that if God weren't there and done all these things, what might have happened? But the truth is he was there. And in verse 6 it says, Praise be to the Lord. When we stop and reflect on that thought that what if God wasn't there, our response should be praise. Because we escaped all these different things. And we should recognize our help comes from the Lord. In all things. We should be depending on Him. And I have an example from Scripture that we're going to look at. We're going to turn to 2 Chronicles, starting at chapter 14. We have the story of King Asa. And Asa is a, described as one of the good kings, that he did what was good and right in the eyes of his God. Not all the kings of Israel, as a matter of fact, most of the kings of Israel are not described that way, but Asa is. But we have some examples here from his life that we're going to quickly look at. Starting in verse 2 of chapter 14. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars in the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah pole. He commanded Jews to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. And so we see him, not only himself, but telling the nation, follow after God. And then in verse 8, we find one of the challenges going to his rule. It says, Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows, over half a million men. All these were brave fighting men, armed with small shields and with, excuse me, all of these were brave fighting men. Zariah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and 300 chariots, and came as far as Marashah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up paddle positions in the valley of... I don't know how to say that. Um, anyways, these two armies have now come up against each other. They form battle lines, and there's a battle coming. And then verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name. We have come against this vast army, O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Even with over half a million men on his side, God, Asa understood that he needed to depend on God. He doesn't say depend, it says rely, but it says we rely on you. Asa understood doesn't matter who I have with me or what I think I have. God is the answer. And so we prayed. And if we were to continue on there, we would find that God indeed delivered them and gave them the victory. But if we turn over to chapter 16, and the heading of my Bible says, Asia's last years. So he's been king now for a while. In verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. 
drop down to verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because he relies... Nope. Sorry. I jumped over something. Please go back to verse 2 with me a moment. And then you have the right thing written down. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aaron, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from you. Now we'll go down to verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So we have this King Asa who's described as a good king. He pointed the people towards God, and at the beginning of his leadership, he had this battle, and even with all those men on his side, he stopped and realized, I need God. And somewhere in that time of his rule, when he got to the 36th year, he had forgotten that. And he had come to think, I have the resources to do this on my own. When a smaller king of Israel came against him, and they weren't even fighting yet, the other king was just building up fortifications in case there was an attack. Asa said, I know what I'll do. I'll go to a foreign country, and I'll pay them off, and I'll have them attack for me, and I'm going to trust them to give me deliverance from this king of Israel. And God sent a prophet to him and said, that was a foolish thing to do. Basically what he's saying is you forgot what you knew when the Cushites attacked. That if you rely on me, I will give you deliverance. And this time you decide to rely on yourself, on the money in the treasury, on the power of another country for your deliverance. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 16, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. God wanted to do something else. Beyond helping him escape from Basha, king of Israel, he also wanted to help him escape from the king of Aram. He didn't want him to rely on the king of Aram and use him as his defense. He wanted Asa to be Israel and to be Aram so they would be free. Because he didn't rely on God, that couldn't happen. We do that. We have our moments when we rely on God, and then we slip up. And we forget, and we think we have the strength to do it on our own. 
God is asking us not to rely on others, not to rely on the government, not to rely on money or on anything but Him. I want to share a little bit of my, more of my story with you this morning. And I want you to know I'm not sharing this story to brag because I have no place to brag. You already know about my dark season. I've shared some of that. And it came after this. So in some ways, I guess I'm like King Asa and I forgot who to rely on. But when I was 28 years old, a couple years ago, I was... Uh, living in Greencastle. We had had our home for about two years. Um, a nice new home that we had built. I was working at a job where I managed restaurants, and not only managed restaurants, but uh, I was responsible for starting new stores, hiring the managers and training them to get new locations open. And I was being pretty successful. And uh, I knew that when I was a teenager, God had placed a call on my life. And that he had something for me to do in ministry. And I had chosen not to follow that. I still went to church and things and believed in God, but I had decided not to give God my career because I didn't want to live like I did when I was a youth. I thought I was missing out on and so I had this pretty successful career going. And one evening, one Sunday evening, Susan and I went to church. And God spoke to me. And I met with the pastor after church. And I said, I don't really know what's going on. I just know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I believe God wants me to minister to young people. And after listening to me, the pastor said, I agree. He said, I think you need to leave the job you have find one in youth ministry. I don't think he meant taking the steps that, that I next took, but this is where it led. I assumed that Susan would not want to uh, make those kind of changes, that she was happy in the home that we had and things, and I was a little hesitant to tell her, but after I think two days, I met with her and I said, I believe God's calling you to ministry. It may mean we have to move, it may mean we have to, to leave this house we've built. I thought I knew what our response was going to be. I was wrong. So if that's where God is calling, that's where we'll go. And so two days later, I met with my boss. And I said, I don't know where we're going, but I know this isn't it. And so I'm giving you a 30-day notice. And I'm leaving. I have no job. I didn't have a clear idea of what God was leading me to. I just knew. He was leading somewhere. And God led me to Camp Joyelle where I spent 10 years. And I could go on for quite a while about this story because it took us two and a half years to raise support. God provided another job in the meantime. And there's, there's so many things I could tell you about how God worked because we were willing to just trust that He had a plan and all we had to do was follow. And when I left Camp Joyella, I did the same thing. I gave a 30-day notice, and I had no job. But God provided. And you already know some of, a few years later, when I went through a period when I thought the 
statement of the doctor to Andrew. And I should never have forgotten that. But when we depend on God, and when we know what he's asking, that he is not going to fail. So how do we live a life like that? How do we live a life where we depend on God? Well, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's a familiar passage. It's the armor of God, but we may be looking at it in a way that we haven't looked at it before. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Finally, be strong in the Lord. We are to rely on Him for everything. And then it goes on to tell us about this battle that we're in. And it says that it's not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. Do we do this on our own? Obviously not. We can't even see the spiritual world unless God opens our eyes to it. We do it by depending on the things that God offers. And I don't know if you caught up there, if you read through there or not, but notice four times in the beginning, before it gets to the actual armor itself, there's one word that's used four times. Stand. We don't get real excited about that, do we? We want an action. We want something to do. Let me march out. Let me swing my sword. Let me shoot arrows. Don't say that. It says stand four times. Because we're not doing this in our strength. There's none of this that comes from us. Let's take a real quick look. We have a belt of truth. The truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. So we need to know what the truth is so that we can stand. We're relying on Jesus. Then it says a breastplate of righteousness. Isaiah 64 tells us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We have no righteousness of our own. It's repeated in Philippians 3.9. Not have a right having a righteousness of my own, 
that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So truth comes from God. Our righteousness comes from God. Next, he talks about the gospel of peace. Man has no peace at all. Peace can only come from God. Shield of faith. Scripture tells us we are saved by faith. And that is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is unto ourselves. The sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. And then it says pray in the spirit. The spirit is God. Well, way through this armor that we're supposed to carry, he's not asking us to go out and fight a battle. He's simply asking us to be aware of who he is and shield ourselves with those things and rely on him and to pray on every occasion. We want to be like the enemy who has begun to crawl and lost their independence. God says, I have a better one. I have more than you can ask or imagine. Just follow me. Learn to know me. Delight in me. And then depend on me and I will take you where I want you to go. We read this verse right before communion last week. I just want to reemphasize it. 2 Peter 1 Three to four, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given us everything. And I don't have this verse on the screen, but it goes on to say, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God wants us to rest in him, participate in his nature, depend on him for everything. Two final thoughts. There's so much more that we could say, so much more that I wish we had time for, but I know we don't. But one of those is worry is the opposite of worship. This would have been a whole sermon in its own, but I felt it needed to be part of this message. Anytime we look at a situation or we reflect on a situation and we spend time worrying about what should I do, what could happen, what, what if this, what if that, that is not worship. That is not a spirit that comes from God. God is asking us to repent. And he will lead us where we need to go. And he will do more than we can ask or imagine. The final thought is why does God ask us to do this? Why does God ask us to live a life of dependence on him? Well, it is summed up in this final picture. Have you ever seen this? Fertile water fence post. What do you say when you see a turtle in a fence post? 
God wants us to depend on him because he wants others to look at us and say, And the Father,